I've received a number of questions recently on how to have regular dialogue with employees. On today's episode, how to have the most effective one-on-one meetings. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 246. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions that will help you to develop your leadership skills. And if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. And if you're coming back, I'm sure one of the things that you've navigated in your own leadership and working within teams and organizations is how to really connect well in a very intentional way and in even a structured way with the people that are working internal in your organization of how do you have those good quality interactions, those one-on-ones, the kinds of things we all know that we should be doing on a regular basis. But in my experiences when talking with leaders, a lot of us aren't doing as proactively as we could. And that's why I'm really pleased to be able to welcome our guest today because he has walked the talk in his own organization, has faced many of the struggles that many of us face in leading and running organizations, and also has a great model that he's built around growing a team and helping a successful organization to be even more successful. And that person is Zvi Band. Zvi founded the company Contactually back in 2011 with two co-founders. Contactually helps you build stronger relationships with the people who can make you successful, which we'll talk more about in this conversation. And in addition to being an engineer and CEO, Svi works actively to foster a strong tech community in the Washington, D.C. area where he's based. Svi, I'm so glad to get connected with you. Welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Dave, thank you so much for having me. And as someone with a hard-to-pronounce last name, I am incredibly appreciative that we even start off with you pronouncing my first name properly. <laughs> Speaking of relationships and online and networks, there is there are some blessings in life to having really complicated names, <laughs> either first or last name. And one of them is you never get mistaken for anyone else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If, you, know, you meet me and like I am... You know, thank God, the only V band on earth. Um, so you will remember my name for sure. That's awesome. Well, hey, I really am glad to get connected with you because I love uh, the story of your company. I've done some reading up on what Contactually has done and what you've navigated through. And I'm just really excited to, to hear about the journey you've been on because I think it's a very... It's a very a real experience of how leadership works in organizations. And uh, you know, one of the things I was interested in reading, and you and I talked about a bit, is that there was a point after you had founded Contactually where you felt like you didn't quite have, you had, a, you had the pulse on a lot of things, like the numbers and the results and all that, but you didn't quite have a pulse for the people. And I'm wondering if you could set the stage for us of, of what brought you to that place and, and where you were at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And so... My background is I'm a software developer, right? And I think software developers tend to be logical and think just in terms of tactile things, right? So I thought about the business and it was it was a key differentiator for us already in the beginning to focus on not just building a product, but building a business. But a business has 
functional components, right? Components are things like leads coming in the door and leads converting to trials and trials becoming to converted customers and converted customers staying around and we have product metrics and we have an internal organization where work flows from one person to another, right? Very logical things. And illogical things or seemingly illogical things like company culture and how people feel and how people's attitudes, that doesn't fit into that logical model. Mm. And I think from very early on, we we always had this focus, you know, that my founders and my co-founders and I, we wanted this to be a good place to work because, well, we worked there and we didn't want this to be kind of like a, a boring job or some, somewhere we hated work. So we wanted it to be a good place to work. And so it always was. But over time, we kind of realized that we could have been more proactive about it. Not that anything went terribly wrong per se, but we could start to see that there are clear areas of improvement in things like company morale and company vision and how managers are interacting with their reports. And all these things came about that, again, didn't fit what we had as the logical workflow for how a company works. And so there was this kind of big come to Jesus moment where we kind of had to sit back and realize like, wow, we really have to take company culture much, much more seriously than we have been previously. Oh, interesting. What was what was it that precipitated that moment of what is it that you and your co-founders either saw or happened or you're like, oh, wait a minute, we may not have our, our senses around this as much as we thought? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, as, you know, seemingly cold and logical as we may sound, right? I mean, we're not, you know, we're not, you know, we're not Spock, right? I mean, we can sense, you know, we can sense general attitudes in the office and it kind of, you know, we, uh, the company was growing and, but we're still running to some overall challenges as any growing company would be. We know any company as it grows internally, it's, you know, it's, it's insane. No one wants to know how the sausage is made. But we saw that we just kind of sat down and had a couple conversations with executives and we kind of noticed like everyone seems very low energy and people just don't seem to be enjoying working here. And you'd ask people and say like, hey, how's everything going? And they'd say, oh, everything's fine. Mm -hmm. But you can kind of still feel like kind of the energy just wasn't there. And we kind of said, well, hey, this is a bit of a problem. How do we go about solving that? And this happened for kind of a couple months at a time. And it kind of then started getting worse where we started saying, oh, well, we, we ended up having a couple people who left the company. And that would end up becoming a major concern. And then we saw that people weren't happy with their managers. And we ended up having to make some major changes and kind of all these I would say like cracks started emerging that I think if we hadn't been a lot more proactive about attacking head on could have honestly destroyed what was otherwise a really great company. Oh, interesting. And so you get to this point where you're seeing that and good for you guys, by the way, for stepping back and, and seeing that and realizing you had to do something about it. What did you do? What was the first like coming out of that meeting? Did you know right away what you were going to do or did you did you have to navigate around and figure out what was going to be the next step or how'd you guys yeah, approach I mean, it? I think when we've been in these situations before, our attitude has always been, let's just go talk to people. Yo, Hey, like, yo, Hey, yo, we would 
to my co-founders and to our different executives. Let's go talk to people and let's figure out what's going on. And in previous times, we've done that, but we never really took a step back to actually really analyze the results. So the first thing that we did is we just qualitatively just went out and just had our managers speak to people individually, like not like sit down one-on-one meetings, but more just casual, like water cooler conversations, just check in how everything's, how's everything going, what's going on. And then we made sure that, okay, well, let's actually come back and collect that feedback. And so we were able to kind of get some really good insights. All right. Like people feel that there are a few too many bugs in the product or people felt that there were that they weren't being heard or people were unsure of our of where we're going as a company and some of these were things that we just had heard before like nothing was like groundbreaking but it was things that we just kind of said oh okay fine you know we'll we'll deal with that tomorrow and then we kind of took a step back and realized and put ourselves in our employees shoes and said oh well if i were working here and you know my and my boss were you know and my boss were ignoring this yeah i would be concerned as well so we had to make sure that we first got the qualitative feedback and the next thing that we did is then we went out and got quantitative feedback and actually started first on a quarterly basis and then on a weekly basis started really measuring how everyone is doing and what that did is that that first gave us line of sight Right. And line of sight is so critical because as we know as leaders, you know, we can't fix what we don't know needs to be fixed. And so I think that was the one of the first key steps that we did. Interesting. And so so there's a there was an informal component, there's a formal component. I know one of the things that is a struggle both for leaders and also for employees and organization is when there's any kind of feedback that's trying to be collected or data trying to be collected, there, there is the tendency for people to not always be truthful or to tell the full story. I know it's happened to me, Svi, where I've, I've been asked either informally or in a formal context through a survey, and I haven't necessarily talked about the whole, <laughs> the whole thing that's going on, whatever it is. Is there anything you guys did that helped to that helped to frame some of those conversations or the surveys so that people would feel more comfortable in being able to share information about what was going on and what they were really thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and there are two things. And these were actually pretty hard for us to do. One of them was honestly to get people first in a cycle of providing feedback and showing that we'll, that we'll respond to them. So, for example, you know, a seemingly innocuous question that doesn't seem to really matter too much was we asked people like seemingly dumb questions like, what do you think of the cough in the office? And then people would respond and then we'd change the cough in the office. But that what and that seems kind of stupid, but what it actually provided is it showed that it made people feel comfortable providing feedback and then also made showed by us changing things that we were acting on that feedback. And so we were able to almost start kind of leveling up and starting to ask bigger and bigger questions to the point where we were asking like, do you believe in our mission? Do you believe Contactually will exist or be a big, be a big thing in a few years? And that allowed us to kind of get 
that you know started us to kind of go deeper, right? So you kind of start with like a seemingly like innocuous fun question, and then before you know, you're asking like really really big key questions. Interesting. So you guys establish trust just by starting small, and I'm guessing that was where different interactions too, where you start off with just talking about things like coffee, and and then like you said, you you actually did something about it, and then people are like, oh, they asked us a question, they did something about it. How nice. <laughs> Maybe exactly. the next and, time and they ask. That. That feedback loop to show that we're listening, right? Yeah. I think that is the missing piece, right? I mean, I think we sometimes kind of think that those pieces of feedback are, oh, whatever, or oh, people will understand. And what that that taught me is like, actually, no, I have to take this very seriously. Every piece of feedback, even if it's something like, you know, hey, I, I wish there were some more quiet spaces in the office. Like, oh, wow, no, like that's something that's like almost like my top job now is to make sure that we have better quiet spaces in the office. The other, the other thing, and I think this is the bigger lesson for me is, you know, we're, we've always been a values-driven organization, and we care a lot about company values. It's not just something that's written on the wall; it's something we live every day. But one of our core values is transparency, and opposite of transparency is we actually end up deciding that in order to get really good feedback from people, all of our surveys had to become anonymous. Mm. And that was really, and that's a really hard pill to swallow as a leader, right? You know, not because not only are you getting completely anonymous feedback that you can't act on, but if you start getting kind of feedback that like it is really of, of major concern, you know, you have to resist that temptation of addressing that person or trying to have a witch hunt to figure out who said it. So, for example, one of our survey questions that we started sending out on a quarterly basis was, how like how much longer are you going to stay stay working at Contactually? And it's a scary question to ask, and it's even scary to see the responses because I think at our lowest point, you know, the vast majority of people said, you know, yeah, I'm not leaving Contactually anytime soon. A lot of people said, yeah, within the next year or two. You know, a few people said within the next couple months, and then you know, at our lowest point, one or two people said, I'm actively look, actively looking for a job right now. And of course, you know, you bring that into an exec meeting and you're panicking. You're like, oh my God, our, our team's leaving us. But what that allows you to do is, oh my God, now these people are honestly telling us they're looking. And from there, we can actually gain really kind of clear insights because now we can start asking questions about why would you leave Contactually or what's making you stay at Contactually? Those kind of questions in a completely anonymous format where there's no fear of repercussion in any way, that becomes really powerful data that a leader can act on. I really appreciate you sharing this example. And I'm, I'm curious, V, what if anything did you guys do, and especially you and your co-founders and the senior leadership team, how did you keep yourselves from potentially like going on that witch hunt or I mean I think there's the tendency in anyone to okay so who said this like really <laughs> even in the spite of it being an anonymous survey how did you guys approach that either beforehand or afterwards in framing what you were going to do with that data yeah i mean so i think one we whenever we started kind of guessing and the natural human tendency is to start doing that right your kind of paranoia crops up um, and we said no nope, we are not we are not playing I, in exact meetings said no nope, we are not playing the witch hunt game we're not going to sit here and guess who it is 
Yes, we may all think in our head we know who it is, but we're not going to be naming names or trying to guess. What I'm asking you to do, and I would tell this to our leaders, what I'm asking you to do is it's clear that there are people in our company that are very unhappy, and you have to assume that is every single person you're talking to in some way, right? That it could be. And that made our, that really lit a fire under all of our leaders and, and, the, and the founders too, to really make sure that we are going deep and talking to every single leader. Because also at the same time, you know, no one wants to be the person surprised by, you know, and have the rug pulled out underneath them by having, you know, one of their direct reports be one of those people who clearly rose their, raised their hand and said, I'm leaving, and they did nothing about it. Mm. And we were actually able to, you know, in some cases, and of course, you know, for better or for worse, you know, sometimes when someone has made the decision in their head that they're leaving, you can't really change their mind. But we were actually able to change the minds of a number of people who much further on down the line, it turned out, yeah, that they, they were starting to kind of think about what else, what's that, what else is out there. And they were even very forthcoming and say, yeah, like I had a job interview three weeks ago, but honestly, I canceled it now because, you know, I, I feel like we're in a better place. Oh, wow. That's powerful. And, and you know, one of the things I read and you had written on your blog is that you guys became, as part of this, it sounds like, really intentional about doing one-on-ones and, and having a very structured process around that. Tell me more about that. How did that evolve and what did you do with that? Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I have to credit my co-founder, Tony, for initially bringing this in. And we saw that as as he was starting to hire direct reports under him or as we brought on people and started kind of shifting people around as you know a company goes from you know, a structureless organism, just kind of a bunch of people just working to all of a sudden having company hierarchy and direct reports and things like that. We saw that he was making this practice and you know making you – know, taking advantage of the magic of you know, online calendars and having repeating calendar events that he was, you know, for people that he was working with, making sure that he was meeting with people one-on-one. And it, it seemed, you know, kind of counterintuitive initially. We were kind of against the whole, you know, we had this kind of whole no meeting culture initially. And we said, oh, well, let's not have these meetings just for the sake of having meetings. But we actually see, saw that it was helpful. He was able to clearly understand what was going on they were able to sit down for half an hour every week and then they wouldn't really need to engage that much over the rest of the week because they just kind of you know, had their roles and responsibilities. So we thought saw that was really powerful and we said, hey, well, this kind of thing needs to work and why don't we roll this out to the rest of the company? And that's actually been a backbone of our leadership culture of regardless of the other skills or other challenges – really making sure that every single leader at least every week has a half hour one-on-one with each of their direct reports. And that has made a huge difference, to be honest. What's the difference you've seen as you've rolled that out? I think it's eliminated any dissonance that sometimes may come between a manager and their direct report. They always seem to be on the same page. And times where we've actually seen uh, you know, differences erupt between a manager and their direct report. One of the first questions is, well, when was the last time you had a one-on-one? And it's usually, oh, two or three weeks ago. 
So that has so it's eliminated that kind of dissonance. It's really made sure that we understand what's going on. So for example, if a employee's unhappy, they'll usually like, you know, the very first sign of it, they'll mention it to their direct manager. And their direct manager usually then feeds it right up to the rest to the to the leadership. And so we can actually gain a very clear bird's eye view of how everyone's doing. So that, that, that is actually really helpful. And then make sure that you know, we don't, for example, waste a week working on something that isn't critical to the business because you know, I'm communicating with all my direct reports, you know, all of our VPs once a week. They know what our priorities are. They know what they're working on. They're communicating it down to their managers Great, they know what they're working on, and then that gets communicated down to the each each individual person, and of course, most importantly, it also goes back up, so ensures that the entire organization is in line. I'm guessing for some of your folks that having those one-on-one meetings and and like you said, one of your co-founders who just did that naturally, that that was really natural and they just stepped into that and that went really well. And I'm guessing there's also other people that probably were like, well, what am I supposed to, what am I supposed to do for a half hour? Like, how does that meeting get structured? How did you guys navigate that with providing direction to leaders who maybe weren't as comfortable with that and how to structure those meetings and what to say and, and, and what to listen for? We intentionally leave it very open because I think each manager has their own reporting style and each direct report has their reporting style. One of the more important things to throw out was we made it clear that it was the manager's time for their direct reports and not, not vice versa. Meaning that if you know, a, let's say kind of a sales rep, if they had a really important sales call that happened during their one-on-one time, they can move it. Or if a, or if a direct report said, hey, I've got nothing to talk about this week, they can move it, right? So it, it was kind of clear that it was their time, not the, not the, like, not the manager's time. So that, that ended up kind of like throwing the power as throwing the power the opposite direction. We also made it clear that we don't expect it to be status updates. We don't, you know, you're not supposed to be, for anyone, you're not supposed to be there preparing, hey, this is a list of what I've been working on, and this is a list of my priorities, and our, this is our time to review those lists of priorities and, you know, make any changes. You know, status updates happen elsewhere. Those are, you know, metric reports and daily emails and things like that. Not, you know, sitting down one-on-one while, you know, you have like really, you know, two really valuable people's time being spent. And we also even made it flexible. You know, I like to sit down at one of our kitchen tables with an individual and pull up my iPad and take notes. Some executives like to take all of their direct reports out for coffee once a week and just sit down and chat. We kind of intentionally leave it open, and we just the key thing is to make it as relaxed as possible and as flexible as possible. Well, I, I like that, and I know you've you've you're a student of the uh, servant leadership philosophy as well, and and you're very much approaching these conversations from that standpoint of um, going back to an episode a few weeks ago where we talked about you know entering a coaching conversation and just you know asking someone what's top of mind for you right now, and it, you know it's very much there to serve that person, not the other way around. It's not there to serve the manager. It's it's how can we have a real conversation about just what do you need right now and where are you and what are the obstacles I can help remove to serve you better as an employee? Exactly. I mean, the, 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 for example, the two questions that I have made, I make sure I ask in every one-on-one 
is number one, what do you think I need to know? Meaning like, what are the challenges? What are the blockers you're facing? What's on your mind that you think I should know about as, you know, as your manager or as the, as CEO? And then also, what can I do to help you? You're here working for me, helping achieve our, you know, company vision, helping drive enterprise value. You know, I should not be in your way. I should be there by your side helping you. So tell me what I need to do and I will go do it for you. I love that. So good. And 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 I noticed in some of your writing too, you're really intentional about exit interviews as well when people do leave the organization for whatever reason. And I think in a lot of organizations, this is a, and I forgive those of us in the audience who are HR professionals, this is kind of like an HR checklist sort of thing of, you know, let's have the interview and let's go through the checklist of all the things we need to ask the person before they leave. But it strikes me from your writing that you've really thought about that as a much more in-depth conversation with people. How do you approach that? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm of the opinion that exit interviews do, should not just be an HR thing. It should be you know, potentially up to three, like you know, maybe HR, like the basic checklist kind of stuff, maybe their direct manager, and then it should be the founder or the CEO. So as the founder and the CEO also, um, I make sure I individually talk to every person leaving. Not just you know the usual HR stuff about tell me why you are leaving, et cetera, but even just to have an open conversation of like, what do you think, you know, this is our last one-on-one, right? What do you think I need to know? What can I do to make the company a better place? Because that changes. It's not just the usual HR conversation. They can tell by it being me being there and me being kind of completely honest and you know passionate about really caring about them that I really want to make I, – I, I honestly come in with this attitude of like in some way we failed you. I want to make sure that you are the last person that ever leaves in some way. And – that is a really important kind of differentiation. And I find, you know, I sometimes even look at the results of the different exit interviews we do. And I find that when it's coming from the founder, or the CEO, they are so much more open and honest than with anyone else. Oh, so there's something, there's a lot to be said by you personally doing that, that having that conversation versus that being delegated out to someone else. Absolutely. I mean, like I, I would say, more than anything else, more than a customer leaving, more than money issues, more than anything else, a employee's leaving is potentially one of the most damaging things that can happen. And obviously, sometimes it's necessary, right? I do strongly believe that you should terminate people who are not who are not a fit for the organization anymore. You know, some people, you know, some people leave the company on very good terms, like they're starting their own company or they're moving in some way. But for anyone else, you you want to make sure that any avoidable departure doesn't happen. And so the question really comes down to how do you make sure from the people who are leaving that they're the last people that ever leave? Zvi, this is great. And I know that leaders who are thinking about this and maybe even running to some of the challenges that you guys ran into a while back and thinking about culture and how to be more intentional about this, I know this is going to be really helpful. So, And I really appreciate your just... Um, your openness on sharing what's happened. And and I'm, I'm looking at, and I've been following your story a bit, and you've just had some great success come out of it in the last couple of years, and the organization's continuing to grow. So congratulations on, on, on putting this in action and also seeing some real results come from it. 
My pleasure. Yeah, it's not a problem being completely honest with you, Dave, in part because, again, with one of our core values is transparency. And, you know, that is one of those things like I do recommend every leader really adopt from day one because not only is it, you know, a powerful thing to just be completely open and honest with everyone on your intents and feelings and concerns, but it's also a lot easier. You don't have to worry about what to say. You're just being honest and you're just relaying what you know. Well, this is actually, speaking of honesty and transparency, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about in going in our conversation, uh, we had a conversation in one of our mastermind groups recently about um, about building networks and, and reaching out to people outside of our organization. We know we've been talking about the internal organizational relationships. And I think for a lot of us, that is apparent that even if we don't do it well, we know we need to do it better. And a lot of us uh, struggle more so with how do we build our external networks. And the topic came up in a recent mastermind group of, you know, there's this tool out there called Contactually. Has anyone heard of it? <laughs> and I was like, that's <laughs> funny you mentioned that. I'm interviewing the CEO very soon. And so, um, I, and I would give myself V probably a C or a C minus as far as how well I interact and serve my external network. So in some ways I've done this well and in some ways I've done this very poorly and probably the show would would be doing better right now if it were for me being a lot more intentional. For those who aren't aware of Contactually, it would be a shame to for us not to uh, let people know about what you're doing and what and how you guys have approached this really uniquely. Uh, how does Contactually approach this, the, the philosophy of building relationships externally? And then I'm, I'm also curious just how the, how the software works around it too. Yeah, absolutely. And Dave, I mean, don't worry about you, know, you giving yourself a C. It's actually much easier than you think to you know, give yourself a B or an A. It really, you know, it really comes down to you know, after this call, Devote yourself to sending one email to one person who you haven't spoken to in a little while that you think might be important. And then tomorrow, doing the same again. And maybe next week, doing the same again. Right. It's kind of those little actions that, you know, little actions that build up. The reason why I started Contactually and kind of segue into what Contactually is, is, you know, as a CEO before this, you know, and I think one thing that everyone listening here can agree is the relationships we have is one of the most important assets that that we that we have right we would be nothing if it weren't for knowing the right people and having the right, having the right connections and getting in touch with the right person at the right time and that's actually how i i was able to run my business i was became cto of an enterprise software startup because I knew the right people and the right people therefore knew me. I was able to grow a consulting business and work with some of the most amazing brands in the world doing some amazingly cool projects because I had a reputation and because people knew me. But the problem is, is that relationships fade, right? You know, Dave, if you and I were just to connect on LinkedIn and then never, and never talk again, that relationship is pretty much worthless. Yeah. However, if we're engaging on a week to week or year to year basis, you know, checking in, how's life in Orange County? I don't know, Svi, how's life in DC, right? You know, and it, showing that we have a personal connection. Of course, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to be there in your corner and you're going to be in mine. And so we set out to solve the problem of how do we ensure that the relationships that are so critical to us as leaders never fall by the wayside. And so we came up with the idea of Contactually, 
And the way that Kinta actually works is we help build long-lasting relationships that grow your business. We automatically pull all of your relationships into the right place and then help you discover out of that the right people to talk to. And most importantly, we help you develop authentic and personalized, long-lasting connections that will really grow your business. So we make sure that you know if, Dave, you and I walk off this call and we really care about staying in touch with each other, we're going to and we're never going to lose touch because unlike you, know, you sitting here and saying, hey, I, I give myself a C at my relationships, Contactually actually for the first time ever really gives all of us a plan and a strategy so we know exactly what we need to do today to build and maintain that really strong relationship asset. Yeah, and I've I've checked out the website and it looks really intriguing as far as how you do that. And um and one of our mutual friends, John Corcoran, who I know is one of your customers, he's just so masterful at doing this. And it it really looks cool as far as how it integrates with all the social media and, and email accounts you've got and provides that kind of like that one stop. I mean, it seems to me like almost like a dashboard of like, okay, here's here's your whole like <laughs> here's your whole relationship like view of the world and here's the people you should be talking with based on your connections and and it kind of takes some of the friction out of really being able to take that next step with keeping those connections alive, like you said. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, let's send people uh, to to a, a good spot as far as if, if they wanted to check out Contactually, what's a good way for them to learn more about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they can visit just Contactually. So contact and actually put together. So Contactually. And you know, you'll find not only, obviously, a link to sign up for our product, which is totally free for 30 days. You can also download tons of content on best practices on how to write a good follow-up or how to determine who to talk to. And actually, you'll find that my team is incredibly helpful. And even if you're not a customer, you can join one of our webinars where we'll show you best practices and really show you how to better practice relationship marketing in order to grow your business. So yeah, just contactually.com. Well, and I'll second that because a lot of the things that Svee's mentioned in today's conversation are actually up on their website and blog posts, and they are very much a walk in their talk as far as transparency and helping people to be more effective at uh, building relationships. So Svee, I really appreciate uh, your time. And one of the things I really value in this conversation is just uh, you know how much you walk the talk around transparency and your willingness to share some of the things that you know, aren't so good about, you know, the journey of you as a leader and about the business and also what you did to help overcome that. And I know that's going to be really helpful to a lot of the leaders in our audience on how they can navigate some of those same challenges. So thanks a ton for your perspective on that. My pleasure. And I think you you mentioned a couple of blog posts I wrote. My personal website is also zviband.com. That's Z-V-I-B-A-N-D.com. And yeah, I mean, obviously, of course, you know, I care a lot about this. Obviously, you know, just like you, Dave, you know, I've built up an incredible amount of scar tissue from going through some of the trials and tribulations of uh, leading a team that's you know now well on its way to what we believe is something big. So uh, I'm more than happy to help out and consider me a servant to uh, all of your listeners as well. Zvi Band is the CEO and co-founder of Contactually. Check them out at contactually.com. Thanks a ton, Zvi. Thanks so much, Dave. By the way, did you notice that transparency was just part of the conversation from the start? 
I always think it's cool when leaders don't have to tell you about their values. They just are their values. That's just how they show up. I'm pretty confident we would have gotten that from Zvi, whether he ever said the word transparency or not. Thanks again, Zvi, for your thoughts, uh, sharing your successes, also some of the obstacles you've run into and contactually has navigated over the last few years. And I know that you've given us a lot to think about, especially those who are part of our community who are thinking a lot about this. And I'd encourage you to take one thing from today's conversation and put it into action with your team or your colleagues, the people you lead, or maybe the people you're mentoring or coaching. I uh, know that if you do, it'll get you traction on starting to think of how you can do one-on-ones more effectively. And as always, I hope you'll join the conversation as well. If you have a question or comment that's related to today's topic or anything related to leadership, I would encourage you to submit it at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. We do a monthly Q&A show. It is the first Monday of the month, and our next one is coming up on episode 248. So if you would like to have a question considered, again, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And if you're just picking up the show for the first time, welcome. I'm so glad that you have joined in with our listening community, and new episodes do come every Monday. If you haven't already, please also join my weekly leadership guide. It is delivered to your inbox on Wednesdays and includes my thoughts and recommendations on the best articles, podcasts, videos, lots of different resources online that will support you between the episodes. And it also will include a link to the full weekly show notes. And this week, uh, Zvi and I mentioned a number of articles he'd written in the past on this topic. I've linked to all those in the show notes, and those are always linked in the weekly leadership guides as well. That's mentioned in every show. So check that out. And as a bonus, when you join the weekly leadership guide, you will get access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And it also includes from me, brief summaries on the value of each of those books. It's an 11-page reader's guide. It's a downloadable PDF you get, and also a nine-minute video of me going through in detail each one of those books and why I think any of them would be a value for you to start tackling. And if you want to get access to that, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe, and that will get you access every Wednesday going forward. And thanks to the thousands of you out there who subscribed to it already. Have a fabulous week and I look forward to joining you again next Monday. Take care.